Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear. Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to be with you today. I've got a tremendous guest, as I was telling him before we recorded that I really wanted to get him on. And I was sitting there talking with Jamie Claire about all the amazing people that we could bring on the podcast in 2021. And the gentleman that's sitting before me virtually is one of those people. And so without further ado, I want to <laughs> welcome Dr. Kit Miyamoto to the Zweig Letter Podcast audience. Dr. Well, Kit, how are you doing? Well, thanks, Randy. That's a really kind of you to say such a thing. Yeah, do, <laughs> do, doing great. Excellent. That's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So how are you, how are you guys uh, surviving in this new normal? I know we talked about. It. I mean, you are a man about the world, so this must be a much different animal for you. Well, it is so, it is so true. I mean, twelve months ago, I was a what is it diamond in a delta, and I was executive premium in America <laughs> and uh, for United Global Services, whatever called. Now I become zero miles for e each of them, right? <laughs> No, but that that translation, no status. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's definitely that uh, you know. I mean, after COVID is gone, I think it's definitely that I, I'm. I know that I can cut back traveling at least a half. You yeah. know, because some travelers have to be face to face, important, right? You know, yeah. but most of the time, no, you don't. You don't have to do that. So it's it's cool. It's a definitely different kind of a lifestyle. Put this way. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, for the uninitiated in the Zweig Letter audience, if you don't know who Dr. Kidd is, you need to know. I mean, he's been featured on a lot of major news publications, ABC. I remember one time at an old hot firm event that we went to, he was biding his time between being featured on a news spot with CNN and coming to the hot firm event. And so, you know, Dr. Kidd has been all over the place. And if there's ever an earthquake of, of any magnitude, no, no pun intended, there is, he has some involvement as it pertains to that. And so I'd love for you just to kind of tell our audience a little bit about your superhero origin story uh, and, 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 uh, and, and, and how we, how you got to where you are today, because obviously you're doing something that you're passionate about. And that's something that I personally, I really respect. Well, thanks, Randy. Well, 
I was born and grew up in Tokyo, Japan, you know, till I went high school there. I, I, I graduated. And what I want to do is I want to play for Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> so I told my mom, dad, you know, I got to move to United States to play their football. They already thought I was not case, but I left there anyway. And um, I played for college for a couple of years. I thought I was a pretty, pretty brilliant halfback. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I blew my knee. So that was, a, that was the end of my uh, football career then. And I had a plan B. Plan B was uh, being a structural engineer. <laughs> so, so that's how, how I went. My first job as a... Um, in the 1990s, it's a, a company called Marshall Fern Associates in Sacramento, California. It's a small company. They had maybe five, six, seven people in there. And uh, it, it's a very respected company, structural engineers, that's it. And they do, they do structural engineering for like, schools and hospitals and you know, stuff like that, a whole bunch of heritage buildings. And John Schaefer was a partner, senior, senior CEO then, and he was my mentor. And I, come, I was there for about seven years. And uh, one day, John asked me to, you know, I'm retiring. You can buy this company to to expand or whatever you know take over, and uh, well, he asked me to pay like I don't know it was like two hundred seventy five thousand bucks back then. It was a lot of money, and the company was losing money every year. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> so I had an option, right? I had an option, or you know, maybe I can my open my own little business because I had a lot of clients by by then, and or take over. And obviously, he's my mentor and my friend, so there's no way I can step back him back his staff per se. So I signed a, you know, that line and uh, uh, took over. And unfortunately, it was a late 1990s and uh, the dot-com boom just started off. So I was able to pay off in a couple of years. And uh, also I, I hired him for as consultant for like 100 grand per year or something like that. So it was, uh, it was good, you know. And uh, unfortunately, he passed uh, uh, several years after that. But he was, uh, and one of his um, approach was can-do attitude engineer. I mean, that's kind of, somewhat rare for structural engineer, just the, there's nothing impossible, you know, anything can be done and really create about, about engineering it. And a lot of, uh, he used a lot of instinct to do things, you know, it's a fascinating how he ran it and how he ran the business also like very free, free for all. Just, you know, many people complain he has, he has no management skill, but he just let people do things. Right. right. So very interesting to this day, we do carry the legacy <laughs> of a can do all, you know, can do anything, you know, anything is possible to the, how we actually get uh, lead and manage uh, our company. You know, it's a bit, very fascinating. It's essentially that you, you basically, you know, follow your f- first boss, right? It's, 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 it's so true. Isn't it Randy for you too, yeah, right? You know, absolutely. kind of like your first boss or first leader, kind of, you have a traits of them, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like that. We changed the name to Marshall from Miyamoto, and uh, you know we still doing the one California worked. And then at the, uh, by in 2001, we decided to move, change the move, change to uh, change the name to Miyamoto International because we opened office in LA. By then, people said, "Why international? You know, we have no international clients, we have no international projects, nothing, right?" And my answer is, "Well, I'm kind of international, and uh, <laughs> we, that's what we want to become. You know, basically, what we want to do is we want to have an impact." We want to have just, I think being a small company, sure, it was a very impactful in uh, Sacramento, California per se, right? But we want to be impactful globally. Not only impactful to people who can afford us, but impactful the place where they need a different engine, you know, approach and knowledge and informations and stuff like that. So that's why we, that's our missions to this day, same, you know, we want to make the things better and safer for people, you know, globally. That's our mission. Yeah. 
So that's how that's how we expand from there. I love that. And, and, you know, some people would say, I mean, that's 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 just a part of goal setting, right? By setting that last part of the name of your company international, because you weren't, you were like, you know what, that's where we're going to be. So we might as well call it that now and then worry about the rest later. So, yeah. uh, So, no, I love that. I think that's great. What was it? Was there a special moment that you where you realized, wow, there this this whole area of disaster relief and disaster engineering or resiliency, as you like to call it, when it comes to dealing with disasters. When did that come about? Disaster specific. That's a 2008 Sichuan earthquake. You know, by then we are kind of started going to different disaster scenes to collect the data and stuff like that. But uh, that particular earthquake, uh, no engineers were not allowed to be there, but uh, I was able to be in a site like in the first week. First hand, I witnessed that the how horrible earthquake it could be. I mean, essentially, minimal buildings were actually performed fine, but except schools, you know, the schools in uh, Sichuan, China at the time built so badly and just, I'm talking, those are big schools, um, three, four, five, six story, big concrete structures, they collapsed. And uh, earthquake was right at the mid afternoon of a Monday, Monday afternoon, right? So schools are full session. And all some schools had a thousand, thousand, you know, several thousand kids in there. And they, they lost pretty much all of them. So looking at scenes like that, and I know that they can be done something very simple thing you can do to make a huge impact. That's where we, our whole kind of mindset about it. Okay. You know, we get to something about that and we can. So that's how we kind of, kind of start off that so-called mindset of we got to do it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you know, I, I live in the Bay area for about six years. So I got intimately familiar with about I think I lost track after eight or nine earthquakes that I experienced while I was there. Mm-hmm. This was post Loma Prieta. But yeah. I remember, you know, talking with some friends that were engineers and them telling me, you know, that the building codes and the requirements in, in like a place like California were much different than mm-hmm. things were back east because of the earthquakes. Mm-hmm. How much of that still drives design decisions today? Is it a main focal point or is it something that you only are dealing with it if it's a concern. You mean uh, California? Yeah, specifically. Well, that's a main, I mean, uh, uh, once come to earthquake, you know, components of the engineering is a big part of it, you know, like especially schools and hospitals, you know, high rise buildings. I mean, there's a huge effort into that in uh, not only California, but seismically uh, so-called prone, you know, area of the U.S. It's not only... West Coast, though, some parts of our East Coast, you know, Central, Central U.S. could have a big, uh, potentially have a big uh, exposure also. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's funny you say that because I'm in Arkansas at the time that we're, we're yeah. recording this, and we actually experienced an earthquake here yeah. two and a half years ago, so much so that it has, uh, we sit, our house sits on a big rock, but because of the shifting, we've seen some settling in our house because of that. And yeah, I mean, I remember the before and after, and it was definitely a, a difference. And our house really had nowhere to go, and there was no flexion in it. So it just, you know, there's been some settling because of it. So yeah, well, one of our, you know, one of our biggest or bigger earthquake in the past several centuries, if you look at it, you know, on the New Madrid area, the St. Yeah. Louis, and that particular area sure. is definitely the, uh, you know, affected by that in the early yeah. 1800s. Yeah, yeah. So no, it it is it it is a big deal. Now, you guys, obviously, you started off small. You started off in Sacramento. Yeah. 
you started building it. You now have 25 locations on five mm-hmm. continents. Mm-hmm. How do you keep track of, of all of that? And, and how do you, I know you, you've, you said earlier in this episode that you have a, a fairly loose approach to how things are done, but there's still a certain rigor that's oh, yeah. involved with the type of work that you do. So how do mm-hmm. you, how do you keep everybody abreast or how do you keep your whole team on point so that they're thinking the same way that, that Dr. Kit is thinking from an engineering perspective? Well, it's not really about me, about the, um, so basic question is how we can actually make sure the everybody work in the same direction, same methods and same, same, you know, quality or what quantity expect, right? Like, yeah. So maybe at the, it's easy to talk about, say, uh, West Coast. So we have the uh, pretty much office. Uh, so we have all, you know, offices at every, every major cities in California and Nevada and uh, Phoenix, actually, and DC, right? So that's kind of US presence we have. And uh, so we have uh, essentially about what, in the US alone, probably like 12 different offices there, right? So how are we going to work as that, as one unit? Well, the, we work as one company. I mean, uh, we set up the virtual format way before the COVID set up, you know? So we've been virtual for quite a long time. And uh, obviously office by office, you know, location, you know, people do meet, we have an office location there, but uh, also that uh, we have a basically freedom to work anywhere. That's always, always not our thing, you know? So having a virtual setup and having a technology, you can really, um, uh, that's the, the really the one about advantage point being a virtual, I think. You can have a, you know, don't have to matter what zip code you're, you're in. You know, you can be really connected as a technically and virtually, right? So that's it, uh, one format, right? Technical. But most important thing is that uh, our culture of the one company approach. I think that's a really critical one. We do keep track the uh, regional office spaces, what team we call, you know, profit and loss and stuff like that. But their bonus has nothing to do with the profit or loss there. We share throughout the whole company. I think that's a really important one. And so some people ask me, oh, how to make the, you know, principal accountable if you don't reward or punish by the money? Well, <laughs> we see, hopefully we don't have a person like that in a company. You know, hopefully our company is made of people who want to help each other to make it better as a whole. So it's a really, the, I think, uh, the people we attract, you know, over the years and that our message and culture building, that's at the really the bottom components of it. it's really important, you know? So yes, about culture of helping each other as a one unit, as a financial system of the sharing the, uh, the profit as a one, kind of emphasize that, right? On top of that technology to make sure that is happening. So that is the, the really key components there, you know, I think. So people, culture, technology, financial system. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So all of those, I like yeah. that. Internationally, it's a little bit different story, right? Because a different bonus pool. Internationally, essentially, the uh, subsidiaries we we go, which means we own more than fifteen percent. Essentially, the um, international location again, the selection of that partner or principal that location is a, such a key component of it. You know, if you hire right, you don't have to worry about much, right? That concept is true. <laughs> you know, and uh, but it's really the uh, it's uh, also struggle too though because some office or some entity or some teams grow really fast and we we somehow kind of help them you know so always constant struggle of changes I think that's a really important part of it continually we change continually make improvements little by little everything about what we do you know 
And what about, you know, because again, and I see this whole idea of, of attracting, how hard has it been to attract quality people that buy into the purpose-driven mission of Miyamoto, right? Because you're not like a normal company from that perspective. And not yeah. a lot of design firms, I mean, not all design firms have a mission, but you guys are fueled by the purpose-driven mission of how you serve communities both near and far when it comes to disaster relief, specifically as it pertains to earthquakes and the like. So how do you identify people that are going to be appropriate for that? Well, I think most of people by nature, they're purpose driven. You know, they are. Yeah, we are. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. And I think most of people, I think obviously making the money and, and uh, have a, you know, good lifestyle is, is minimum requirement. Has to be much more than that. I think what people desire, and that's what we are. So it's, but we didn't design the company because of that reason, by the way. It just was like that from day one. It was very authentic about it. You know, our missions and all that purposeness was a very authentic being, you know, about because we can attract more people or more profitable. It's happened to be, it's more profitable, by the way, doing that kind of things. But uh, just that's how, how we are from day one, from 2000, right, on forward. So essentially, to answer your question, attracting the good people is much easier for us because our purpose driven is in a real authentic way. You know, so we, we attract a very, very interesting people, you know, not only, you know, great engineers or administrators or the business person, but also with a purposeness in it, you know? Yeah. yeah. yeah and I'm sure some people don't want to join that company. So like, well, that those, those people are a little bit crazy. <laughs> 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 what they're doing at the Haiti, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I'm sure. Right. Yeah. You know, and speaking of Haiti, I mean, you've done a lot of work down there since they had the big earthquake down yep. there. I mean, you've been, you've been to, uh, was it, uh, was it Myanmar? Was it, where was it, Burma? What was the large earthquake in uh, Southeast Asia that you participated? It was in Nepal, Kathmandu Nepal, in 2015. Right. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, what keeps you up at night when thinking about these, you know, these major disasters that have such a profound effect, not just on human life, but just on living in general, right? You know, societies get uprooted with earthquakes. And I even think about, I remember watching the video footage of the Loma Prieta quake. And I remember where I was when it happened because I was watching, I was waiting tables and I was watching the baseball game, which was a subway right, series right. between the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants. And then all of a sudden the video went out and then I was like, well, yeah. what's going on? And then that's what yeah. we learned about the rest of it. And of course we saw all of the video and, and just how quickly everything happened. But then the thing that I was amazed about was how quickly, you know, people, the infrastructure kind of bounced back. It, it took time. I mean, even when I moved to the Bay Area, there were still small segments of the 880 freeway that had not been demolished. And I could, you could, there were places where you could ride by and see where it connected with the Bay Bridge and it was no longer there. So, you know, and then by the time I left the Bay Area, all that was gone. There was something new built. And, you know, a lot of countries don't have the infrastructure to do that. So how do you as a, as a company, as, a, as an organization and as a thought leader and a designer go into places that don't have the infrastructure in place to overcome these challenges? How do you tackle that? It just seems like it's almost impossible. Oh, yeah. Well, a couple of things. One is, uh, as far as the California, the uh, 1989 Loma Prieta you're talking about, and yeah. the 1994 in uh, Northridge in LA, you know, sure. events. 
So that's a big impact, right? You're talking about, but there are considerably moderate, medium earthquakes, right? Sure. So we're actually looking for much, 10 times, 100 times much more energy than what we, what we experienced 25 years ago, we expect in California. So it's, well, or in the West Coast or anywhere, actually. So that's something that, uh, we got to keep in mind, number one. So are we ready? I don't think so. I don't think we, we quite understand what does the urban disaster look like, earthquake disaster look like. Last time we experienced it really 1906, actually. So that uh, I think we're definitely more advanced than other countries. I can see that, but it's definitely that we're not 100 ready for it at all. So we're definitely going to face some certain uh, challenges this coming coming years. You know, once that definitely just you know true big one happens. Now, so back to place like uh, countries, you know, development countries, you know, who are not technically advanced like we are. Yeah, that's a that's a huge problem. Like a place like Haiti, right? 2010, it destroyed a 300, well, about 250,000 buildings. Killed about 315,000 people. I mean, that was biggest natural disaster ever to kill so many people in human history, actually. And also Haiti was, uh, Haiti is the poorest country, you know, in a Western hemisphere, right? Yeah. So it's definitely the, uh, uh, it's really difficult for them. And, uh, it's very interesting. So 2010, I was pretty much there living there almost like three years, yeah, full time basis. And, um, we got the, you know, funded by, after a while, I forgot funded by UN agencies and, uh, USAID and, World Bank and people like that to actually get to start retraining the Haitian engineers and the contractors and re, re, reconstruct. We, we train almost like 700 engineers there and 7,000 masons and reconstruct about uh, 12,000 houses, you know, out there over the years. But interesting part of it though, today we actually still, Miyavata Haiti exists by the way, and uh, all uh, managed by the Haitian, you know, engineers and managers. But uh, uh, we actually, the, did some research on you know, testing of the, how the current Mason skill sets, how they, you know, Masons actually build houses. And we tested many, many people, hundreds of people out there. And we, we discovered actually 80% passing rate. They're actually using technique, something that, uh, you know, all the, uh, the agencies, including us, you know, built up in, back in 2010, 11, 12. They still carry on today where they build houses, even though it's not, so-called we call informal housing site it's not the actual formally done you know people yeah. built in a much much better way so it's uh, actually at the build back better and a capacity building we call that is actually really impactful that's such a critical thing to actually found so yes it was a, such a huge disaster tragedy but yet subsequently how the capacity built and how haitian people took the ownership of the built you know built uh, their cities better they really took that and uh, today is definitely just looking at how Haitian masons and engineers work by data we have now. We know they're a much safer place today. So that, I think that, that that's something really, um, you know, we, we probably been being about, you know, very, very small part of it, you know, whole thing. But it's, yeah. uh, it was a great thing. So what, what keep me up night? I think the, um, it's definitely in so many places got the so exposed, like, uh, you're talking about Kathmandu, you know, Nepal earthquake in 2015, and it's magnitude nine, right? It's actually destroyed almost like 600,000 houses and about 7,000 school buildings. But fortunately, it happened in the mid-afternoon of a Saturday noon. So therefore, the school was empty. Most of the people were outside. So death was down to only 10,000 people. Yeah. That was even happened, say, 24 hours before or something like that or after. Probably we lost a million people. Yeah. You know, that definitely did uh, keep me an eye on that. I would imagine. I would imagine. Now, or do you get to actually play a role in helping some of these devastated areas 
reconfigure or or upgrade their building codes when mm-hmm. you know for the future so i'm assuming that if i go to haiti and something's being built now is it being built possibly with some of your influence and input into how these buildings should be designed well, I mean, I hope so. I mean, at that, uh, we are one of many people who done. No, I know, uh, I know. There. I, and I, yeah. I don't want to make it seem like you're the only person that hates the work, but but I'm assuming that they. But certainly, you have a perspective and and an understanding that if I was the leader of a country and my country was susceptible to these types of events, I'd want to make sure that our building codes were up to snuff, right? Uh, and right. so, I mean, I think that that's important, but. I think it's what really probably proud of what we have done is a training many, many, you know, like I said, 700 Haitian engineers, but more than that, you know, by now. So that training components of it, that's the, I think a key part of it, just transfer knowledge, trans, you know. Teaching them how to fish. I mean, it's just, it's simply that. You yeah. Know? I mean, Haitian is, uh, you know, I mean, they are great people. I mean, many highly educated people there. It just that the earthquake was not part of our equation. Last time it happened, earthquake was like 1800, you know what I mean? Couple hundred. Yeah years ago. So therefore, just not, it's not part of a hurricane they know, not earthquake. So it was a complete surprise to them. Yeah, no, they, they definitely, I mean, maybe one of the poorest countries in the world, but certainly one of the more resilient people uh, mm. in the world. That's for sure. My wife's oh, yeah. down there on a, on a mission trip and her, her report back to me after spending two weeks down there was nothing short of amazing. So I understand their spirit and I have many Haitian friends. So I love Haiti, man. I think that's yeah. one, one of the most favorite countries. I mean, it just uh, unbelievable Haitian is uh, something happens I mean, every year, some kind of disaster. Could it be a political disaster? Could it be something happened all the time, right? Much they're lies, always, always upbeat. You know, they're always upbeat. Just yeah. look forward for tomorrow. Yeah. Yes, yes, it was bad. Gone. Today, today, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Great people. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So what uh, what are your plans or what are you hoping to do coming out of this pandemic? Is there anything new that you guys are working on? That uh, obviously, because it's not like you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs waiting for the next disaster, right? But but what do you, I mean, how do you kind of, you know, kind of keep yourself sharp and focused on what you need to be doing? Well, business point of view, we just try to take the uh, so-called bad things going on as the uh, advantage as much as possible. You know, we open offices in uh, Phoenix, Las Vegas, and uh, we actually acquired a company in San Diego. So we just try to expand. We just try to make the base to next expansion of our economic recovery, which we'll believe is going to happen in this coming year, you know? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So that's, yeah. And also system too. We just make, make sure that all the, uh, the system is uh, efficient as much as possible as company-wise. We always make some changes, always make some tweaking. We combine teams, you know, that kind of things we do all the time. So things like that. So we're basically tweaking the machines put this way. <laughs> yeah. No, I gotcha. I mean, that, that makes in- sense. And I, I think, think this, this is a good time to do it too. I don't think there's yeah, been a better time. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And also a huge investment in business development. I mean, it, uh, we uh, just amount of a so-called meeting by virtually thing is just, I think probably business development activity in, in a definition by meeting someone probably we're doing a five times more than ever before, I bet. Wow. Company-wide. You know? That's good. Much, yeah. much easier to meet, right? People are available. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't have a choice, right? I mean, and, uh, I, I, I wasn't sure what you were going to say when I reached out. I was, I, I suspected you were going to say, "Oh well, I'm so busy, I don't know if I could do it." But you came back and responded yeah. so quickly. I was like, oh, "Great!" And, and everybody has responded quickly, like literally within five minutes of me sending out an invite to the podcast. Yeah. People are like, "Sure, I'll be on it." <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. 
We're yeah. so bored, man. Absolutely. <laughs> we don't talk to you, Randy. <laughs> no, it's all good. It is all good. So, yeah. man, I appreciate that. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you to connect and learn more about Miyamoto? Oh, just email me at the okay. kit at the Miyamoto International.com. Sure. You know, anytime, you know, we can, we can talk, we can meet up and stuff like that. But uh, our plan now is that to grow in the U.S. That's our kind of strategy components of it. And um, uh, we want to expand it into the states. We're not there yet. You know, right. essentially we're in four different states, right? We're going to expand into different, you know, from Oregon to Washington, to Utah, to Idaho, to throughout. And, uh, but we don't, we usually uh, expand based on a very opportunistic way. We based on a expands based on like people, you know, yeah. sometimes yeah. some people move from a company or sometimes we meet someone or some company, you know, that's how we can expand like that. Well, yeah, because if you've got an outstanding engineer and they say, hey, I've got to move for family reasons or whatever, yeah. and you're like, well, where are you moving to? And they're like, North Carolina. Well, well, I guess we're opening up an office in North Carolina. So, yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, back in the day, though, Kit, that was not a rationale that a lot of design firms embraced, right? It was more like, good luck. I'll see you. If you come back out here, let us know. But now firms are like, because of technology, because of, you know, just the lack of high quality technical individuals. Firms don't want to lose anybody good. Right. And it, it, it is so true. I mean, it's definitely impossible now, right? You don't have to be located in a certain zip code right. to working for a certain company anymore, really, quite yeah. frankly. You know, so that's the kind of age now. And also, the, the, we, we usually merge with the smaller companies, you know, quite a bit, you know, like uh, some small companies, like a five people, you know, 10 people, and you know, stuff like that. And uh, interesting about it is that uh, we can really energize the company like that quite a bit. Because we can bring in some different technology, different business contacts. Because we we work as one company, right? Different production center, different methodology of it, you know, part of it. So things like that, you know, we, we're constantly looking to people to join us. Yeah, well, that's good. I love that. I love hearing that. Well, man, I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule today to sit down with us sure. on this Wide Letter podcast. I am going to put you on the spot. I've got two final questions for you. One is, sure. and if if it's okay, if you haven't had something specifically to, to refer us to, but is there a book that you've read recently that's really moved you or impacted your thinking at all in any way? Yeah, it's called Sapiens. Yes, yes. Sapiens. That, that's a actually great book about what we come from. What we do today is exactly what we did about 10,000 years ago. Exactly. So, <laughs> put your perspective there. Yeah, yeah. No, that that is a really good book. That I'll have to put that in the show notes because I think uh, people would like that. Mm -hmm. Would like that. And then what are you doing on your off time during this pandemic? Have you have you binged watched a show? Is there anything that you're 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 watching on TV when just to bide your time when you're not busy doing engineering? Well, I, I just built the um, whole gym in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so, so yeah. that, that went well. Do you have a Peloton? No, nah, just a whole bunch of free weights and okay. you know, bike, okay. you know, bicycle, that kind of stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, there's nothing yeah. like that. I mean, I tell people all the time. I have a bunch of kettlebells, and I like to throw those around. But but I tell you, free, nothing like free weights to keep yeah. you uh, keep tone. That's for <laughs> that's sure. That's right, Randy. So yeah, that's awesome. Well, man, yeah. thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it, and we'll put all this information in the show notes for anybody that wants to reach out to Doctor Kit and. Just check in with him and, and find out what he's doing. We certainly want to encourage you to do that. And if you do, do reach out, let him know that you heard about him here on this Wide Letter podcast. But uh, Kit, it's great seeing you. And I hope to see you in person 
sometime in the near future. I hope so, Randy. And I hope that I can see all of you guys, you know, in the podcast in a hot firm is coming up. I hope it's going to happen in your face. I'm sure it will be. Uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to figure something out. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, folks, that's another episode of the Zweig Letter podcast. Learn more about one of the oldest newsletters in the design industry by visiting thezweigletter.com. You can read articles online, listen to this podcast, and sign up for a free subscription to the newsletter and have it delivered right into your email inbox every Monday morning. Sign up today. For more info about Zweig Group's advisory services or any of Zweig Group's publications, visit zweiggroup.com. You can also subscribe to this Zweig Letter podcast wherever you listen to it. And please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we'll see you soon. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Zweig Letter podcast. We hope that you can be part of elevating the industry and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to The Zweig Letter, please visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.